Alawapa friends, it's the 13th day of speech, the year 175 of the Badi calendar, December 5th, 2018. I'm going to read today a um, passage from The Promise of World Peace by the Universal House of Justice. The primary question to be resolved is how the present world, with its entrenched pattern of conflict, can change to a world in which harmony and co cooperation will prevail. World order can be founded only on an unshakable consciousness of the oneness of mankind, a spiritual truth with all the human sciences confirm. Anthropology, physiology, psychology recognize only one human species, albeit infinitely varied in the secondary aspects of life. Recognition of this truth requires abandonment of prejudice, prejudice of every kind, race, class, color, creed, nation, sex, degree of material civilization, everything which enables people to consider themselves superior to others. Acceptance of the oneness of mankind is the first fundamental prerequisite for reorganization and administration of the world as one country, the home of humankind. Universal acceptance of this spiritual principle is essential to any successful attempt to establish world peace. It should therefore be universally proclaimed, taught in schools, and constantly asserted in every nation as preparation for the organic change in the structure of society which it implies. In the Baha'i view, Recognition of the oneness of mankind calls for no less than the reconstruction and the demilitarization of the whole civilized world, a world organically unified in all the essential aspect of its life, its political machinery, its spiritual aspiration, its trade and finance, its script and language, and yet infinite in the diversity of the national characteristics of its federated units. Elaborating the implications of this pivotal principle, Shoghi Effendi, the guardian of the Baha'i faith, commented in 1931 that, Far from aiming at the subversion of the existing foundations of society, it seeks to broaden its basis, to remold its institutions in a manner consonant with the needs of an ever-changing world. It can be conflict with no legitimate allegiances, nor can it undermine essential loyalties. Its purpose is neither to stifle the flame of a sane and intelligent patriotism in men's hearts, nor to abolish the system of national autonomy so essential if the evils of excessive centralization are to be avoided. It does not ignore, nor does it attempt to suppress, the diversity of ethnical origins of climate, of history, of language and tradition, of thought and habit that differentiate the peoples and the nations of the world. It calls for a wider loyalty, for a larger aspiration than any that has animated the human race. It insists upon the subordination of national impulses and interests to the imperative claims of a unified world. It repudiates excessive centralization on one hand and disclaims all attempts at uniformity on the other. Its watchword is unity in diversity. 
The achievement of such ends requires several stages in the adjustment of national political attitudes, which now verge on anarchy in the absence of clearly defined laws or universally accepted and enforceable principles regulating the relationship between nations. The League of Nations, the United Nations, and the many organizations and agreements produced by them have unquestionably been helpful in attenuating some of the negative effects of international conflicts, but they have shown themselves incapable of preventing war. Indeed, there have been scores of wars in the end of the, oh, since the end of the Second World War. Many are yet raging. The predominant aspects of this problem had already emerged in the 19th century when Baha'u'llah first advanced his proposals for the establishment of world peace. The principle of collective security was propounded by him in statements addressed to the rulers of the world. Shoghi Effendi commented on, this, on his meeting, What else could these weighty words signify, he wrote, if they did not point to the inevitable curtailment of unfettered national sovereignty as an indispensable preliminary to the formation of the future commonwealth of all nations of the world. Some form of a world superstate must needs be evolved, in whose favor all the nations of the world will have willingly ceded every claim to make war. Certain rights to impose taxa taxation and all rights to maintain armaments, except for purposes of maintaining internal order within their respective dominions. Such a state will have to include within its orbit an international executive adequate to enforce supreme and unchallengeable authority on every recalcitrant member of the Commonwealth. A world parliament whose members shall be elected by the people in their respective countries and whose election shall be confirmed by their respective governments and a supreme tribunal whose judgment will have a binding effect even in such cases where the parties concerned did not voluntarily agree to submit their case to its consideration. A world community in which all economic barriers will have been permanently demolished and the interdependence of capital and labor definitely recognized, in which the clamor of religious fanaticism and strife will have been forever stilled in which the flame of racial animosity will have been finally extinguished, in which a single code of international law, the product of the considered judgment of the world's federated representatives, shall have as its sanction an instant and coercive intervention of the combined forces of the federated units, and finally, a world community in which the fury of a capricious and militant nationalism will have been transmuted into an abiding consciousness of world citizenship. Such indeed appears in its broadest outline, the order anticipated by Baha'u'llah, an order that shall come to be regarded as the fairest fruit of a slowly maturing age. The implementation of these far-reaching measures was indicated by Baha'u'llah. The time must come when the imperative necessity for the holding of a vast and all-embracing assemblage of men will be universally realized. The rulers and kings of the earth must needs attend it. 
and participating in its deliberations must consider such ways and means as will lay the foundation of the world's great peace amongst men. The courage, the resolution, the pure motive, the selfless love of one people for another, all the spiritual and moral qualities required for effecting this momentous step towards peace are focused on the will to act, and it is towards arousing the necessary volition that earnest consideration must be given to the reality of man, namely his thought. To understand the relevance of this potent reality is also to appreciate the social necessity of actualizing its unique value through candid, dispassionate, and cordial consultation, and of acting upon the results of this process. Baha'u'llah insistently drew attention to the virtues and indispensability of consultation for ordering human affairs. He said, Consultation bestows greater awareness and transmutes conjecture into certitude. It is a shining light which, in a dark world, leads the way and guides. For everything, there is and will continue to be a station of perfection and maturity. The maturity of the gift of understanding is made manifest through consultation. The very attempt to achieve peace through the consultative action he proposed can release such a salutary spirit among the peoples of the earth that no power could resist the final triumphal outcome. Concerning the proceedings for this world gathering, Abdu'l-Bahá, the son of Baha'u'lláh, an authorized interpreter of his teachings, offered these insights. They must make the cause of peace the object of general consultation, and seek by every means in their power to establish a union of the nations of the world. They must conclude a binding treaty and establish a covenant, the provisions of which shall be sound, inviolable, and definite. They must proclaim it to all the world and and obtain for it the sanction of all the human race. This supreme and noble undertaking, the real source of the peace and well-being of all the world, should be regarded as sacred by all that dwell on earth. All the forces of humanity must be mobilized to ensure the stability and permanence of this most great covenant. In this all-embracing pact, the limits and frontiers of each and every nation should be clearly fixed, the principles underlying the relationships of governments towards one another definitely laid down, and all the international agreements and obligations ascertained. In like manner, the size of the armaments of every government should be strictly limited, for if the preparations for war and the military forces of any nation should be allowed to increase, they will arouse the suspicion of others. The fundamental principle underlying this solemn pact should be so fixed that if any government later violate any one of its provisions, all the governments on earth should arise to reduce it to utter submission. Nay, the human race as a whole should resolve, with every power at its disposal, to destroy that government. Should this greatest of all remedies be applied to the sick body of the world, it will assuredly recover from its ills and will remain eternally safe and secure. The holding of this mighty convocation is long overdue. With all the ardor of our hearts, we appeal to the leaders of all nations 
to seize this opportune moment and take irreversible steps to convoke this world meeting. All the forces of history impel the human race towards this act, which will mark for all time the dawn of its long-awaited maturity. Will not the United Nations, with the full support of its membership, arise to the high purposes of such a crowning event? Let men and women, youth and children, everywhere recognize the eternal merit of this imperative action for all peoples and lift up their voices in willing assent. Indeed, let it be this generation that inaugurates this glorious stage at the evolution of social life on the planet. I wanted to also mention that this passage was written at the Baha'i World Center in October 1985. Okay, so we're going to continue on with our reading of the hidden words of Baha'u'llah. We're on the 43rd and 44th hidden word from the Arabic. O son of being, make mention of me on my earth, that in my heaven I may remember thee. Thus shall mine eyes and thine be solaced. O son of the throne, thy hearing is my hearing. Hear thou therewith, thy sight is my sight. Do thou see therewith that in thine inmost soul thou mayest testify unto my exalted sanctity, and I within myself may bear witness unto an exalted station for thee. I'm going to close today with a prayer from Prayers and Meditations by Baha'u'llah. In my copy, it's on page 121 through 122. Magnified be thy name, O Lord my God, inasmuch as thou hast inclined mine ear to thy voice, and called me to thyself, and opened mine eyes to gaze on thy beauty, and illumined my heart with thy knowledge, and sanctified my breast from the doubts of the infidels in thy days. I am the one, O my God, who lay fast asleep on his couch, when lo, the messengers of thy manifold mercies were sent down upon me by thee, and the gentle winds of thy loving kindness blew over me and roused me up and caused me to set my face towards the sanctuary of thy knowledge and to fix mine eyes upon the splendors of the light of thy face. I am but a poor creature, O my Lord. Behold me clinging to the hem of thy riches. I have fled from darkness and from the waywardness and to the brightness of the light of thy countenance. Were I and to this thy glory beareth me witness, to render thanksgiving unto thee through the whole continuance of thy kingdom and the duration of the heaven of thine omnipotence, I would still have failed to repay thy manifold bestowals. I implore thee, O my Lord, by thy name, the ever-abiding, and by thy name which thou didst ordain to be the most great instrument binding thee to thy servants, to grant that I may flee for shelter to thy door and speak forth thy praise, Write down then for me, in every world of thine, that which will enable me to enter beneath thy shadow and with the borders of thy court. Thou art verily the Almighty, the most bountiful, the most exalted, the ever-forgiving, the most generous. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Scattering Angels. I hope to 
have you back for the next episode, which I hope will be on Friday. Have a wonderful, happy, and joyous day. Thank you.